school, uh, we're going through every healing that takes place in the Bible. So this is probably going to be a really long, long teaching because uh, we're taking our time and we're looking at every one of these. And uh, we're, we've started off in the Gospels and we're in week seven and we've made it as far as Matthew chapter 10. <laughs> but we are not only looking at uh, Matthew, we're looking at all of the accounts of the, all of the accounts across the, gospel. across the Gospels. So we're looking at them. And one thing that we found is Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot to say about healings, uh, but we've not yet found a scripture where John's talked about any of the healings. Does that mean that John didn't talk about healings at all? No, he did. He just hasn't talked about any of the ones that we've talked about so far. So far. And we'll see that um, as we go through. But tonight we're going to start in Matthew chapter 10. And... Uh, and uh, we'll go from there, but uh, let's pray, and we'll get into the Word. Uh, we did prayer uh, right before, from 5 to about 5.40. We were praying and believing the Lord for divine healings. Um, and uh, we've been uh, standing for healings for several people, and we've seen several people divinely healed uh, through prayer. Uh, we've seen some people that we've prayed for that have moved to heaven. But how much do you know? That's a divine healing. When you step over. When you step over and you get that glorified body and no sickness can touch you. Um, how much do you know? That's a divine healing. And some people were ready to go, but the family wasn't ready to pour them to go. Uh, so we prayed and, and, and believed the Lord to prepare the families to go. Now that, sounds, that may sound weird to some people, especially those online. Now wait a minute. You're praying and believing for people to get healed, and you're praying them right into heaven? Well, yes, we're praying them right into heaven if they're ready to go. Why? Because Dad Hagen taught it this way. He said, you can either go through the gates of death, or you can go through the jaws of death. How much you know? You don't want to go through the jaws, the jaws of death. What are the jaws of death? The jaws of death is when somebody is right there at the threshold of stepping over into eternity, and their family members hold them here. You know, family and friends can hold somebody here that's in transition into eternity, and it can drain the bank accounts, it can drain the emotions, it can drain uh, the family's with all and stand. Um, it, can drain, it, can, it can just drain people spiritually and cause a lot of confusion. So uh, when we know that there's somebody that's ready to step over, well, we just pray, Lord, let them step over quickly and easily and make it easy for the family to let them go. Because stepping over to eternity is actually victory as long as you're stepping over into heaven. heaven yeah. It's a victory. As long as you're stepping over into heaven, it's a victory. We've even prayed for some people that were on their deathbeds uh, that, that weren't ready to meet Jesus, and we prayed them into meeting Jesus on their deathbeds. We have reports for that. Now, I highly recommend those in the house and those online, don't wait until your deathbed because you might not get the opportunity to receive Jesus on your deathbed. And Jesus does not want you living uh, with hell on earth until you decide, well, I guess I'm going now is when I need Jesus. We highly recommend that you receive him now and have the good life here and the good life there. Glory to God. So sometimes you need to know and understand that sometimes divine, the best way to get somebody healed is just to help them to step over if they're ready to go. And I don't know why I needed to say that tonight, but somebody needed to hear it. 
somebody needed to hear it. So let's pray, and then we'll get into chapter 10. All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for being here with us, Lord. We thank you for teaching and guiding us and, and showing us the, uh, your miracle heal, healing power and showing us how to use it and, and how to believe for it and, and how to have faith in it. Lord, we just thank you for this, and we thank you that, that, it's, that all your works and all your word have put down here in the Bible for us to read. We just thank you we're able to and that, that, that we don't have, live in a place where we're not able to. And we just, thank Lord, you, Father. We're, it's, we're just blessed. And thank I thank you, you for that. And thank Lord, you, Father. please be with us tonight and give me and Robbie the words that need to be spoken, the words that are just right for here and now, the words that are just right for those that have come seeking thank your you, healing uh, power and, and to learn about you. Thank you, Father. And Lord, just draw us closer and help us to be good ground and to receive your word in Jesus' name. Thank you, Amen. Father. Well, we're starting off right here in Matthew chapter 10, um, and we're going to find out about the disciples going out and healing people. The disciples going out and healing people. Uh, so up until this point, we've looked at all the people that Jesus has healed, and we found out that he and his disciples were going from city to city, from town to town. He was going into homes. The people were even coming to his own house. And anybody that came to him for healing, um, he healed them. He hasn't told anybody no at any point. He's not told anybody no. But yet, here we're fixing to find out that he sends out his disciples. So even in the day that Jesus walked the earth, there were other people that provided healing um, to the masses. So let's pick up here in chapter 10, verse 1. All right. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. All right. We got it right here off the bat. We got to make some notations here. Um, it says, and when Jesus did what? He called. The first thing Jesus did. Are you back there listening to me, Brianna? Jesus <laughs> called. Just throw Who? it under the bus. Who did he call? The 12 disciples. Now, these were not the only people that Jesus called. We're going to see that later he that he calls 70 he calls his, so if we could, we could just read this this way. Jesus called his closest disciples. Now, don't forget, a disciple is a student of Jesus. That's what the word disciple means, is to be a student, or, or really more accurately, what it means is to be an apprentice. That's really more accurately what a disciple is, is an apprentice. Miss Ann, many years ago, went over here to John C. Campbell Folk School, and she apprenticed to become a potter. And what she would do is she would go to the school 40 hours a week, and she would sit under another potter, and that potter would teach her everything that they knew about how to make pottery and how to make fine pottery and how to do it well and how to do it right and how to get good results, and, and, and she began to imitate and do what the other potters did so that she, too, could become a well-known, well-functioning potter. Not only did she go under one potter, but any time they brought potters in from across the nation or even from other countries, she got to sit under them as well. 
So what did she do? She dedicated her life to studying how these other potters functioned. And then she took what they what what she what they taught her, and she kind of uh, used those skills and those things that she learned, and she operated in the same principles with her own personal flair to it, so to speak. Um, now, does that make her any less of a potter because she might do it a little differently than they do it? No. Why? Because she was taking the principles and applying them to her life. Well, that's what these disciples were doing is they were walking with Jesus and they were watching all the different ways that he healed. He, they were watching all the different ways that he cast out demons. Now, if you go back and you follow our other six weeks of study, you'll find out that probably 50% or more of the healings that Jesus performed in order to get people healed, he had to deal with the devil. In almost every, in most of the cases, it says that he that that he healed those that were sick and he cast out demons. He cast and it says he healed those that were vexed of demons. So they were watching him in dealing with demons. And in some cases, Jesus just said uh, he called the demon out, spirit of infirmity, spirit of sickness or whatever the demon was, and he called it by name and said, go, and it went. In other cases, he had to actually interact with the demon and find out the demon's name and find out the demon's number and a few other things before he could get that demon to go. Now, that's Jesus with the full power of the Holy Ghost on him. Uh, how much you know we don't have the full power of the Holy Ghost on us, we have a measure of the Holy Ghost in us, and we have access to Jesus' authority and power through his name. But now, here's what you need to understand. Your ability to do things in the name of Jesus is going to be limited to your understanding of the authority of Jesus. Do you and hear me? Your, and your faith in that authority. Let me, let me say it again. Your ability to get results in Jesus' name is going to be limited to your understanding of the authority and power of that name. See, in order for you to get results in the name of Jesus, you've got to know that you know that you know. It's got to be down on the inside. You've got to know that you know that you know that you've got power in the name of Jesus. You've got to know that the name of Jesus is above every name. You've got to know that the scripture says over there in Philippians, you've got to know that the scripture says that at his name, every knee might bow. Why does it say might bow? It says might because it's dependent upon how well you know the name of Jesus. Let me show it to you. Hold your place right here, because I see people are doubting me. Let's go to go. Let's go to Philippians. Come on. Come on. Go to Philippians chapter three. Glory to God. Nope, nope. Not Philippians three. Hold on. Let me find it. I said it was Philippians 3, but hold on. Now, 
Let me get myself out. See, I wasn't planning on this scripture, so give me just a second. Come on. Well, let's look at Ephesians twenty, uh, Ephesians chapter one, real quick. Ephesians chapter one, real quick. We'll look at this. Glory to God. Let's read that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. All right. Far above all principality and power. Well, back up one, one verse. Okay. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and have put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. All right, so let's look at that. Let me get back on the right page. He said, in which, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, where is Jesus set? Far above all principalities, powers, mights, and dominions, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You've got to know that Jesus is seated above every name. Now to go to Philippians chapter 2. I was one chapter wow. off. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I said might, but it says should. Verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. Philippians 2, 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and, gaven, and given him a name which is above every other name. Jesus' name is what? Exalted. Above every other name. It says exalted above every other name. Look at what verse 10 says. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, you're messing with my theology. I thought every person was going to bow at his name. Only if his name is used with the authority that it has. Does that not say should? It says should, meaning it's not a guaranteed result. Why is it not guaranteed? How much do you know? The sons of Sceva went to deal with the demon. And they said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preached. Did that demon succumb to the name of Jesus in that situation? No. Why? Because the sons of Sceva didn't know who Jesus was. This is important. He said, uh, let's go to verse 10. He says that every name, that every knee, it says, look at that. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of the things in heaven, of the things in earth, and the things under the earth. Right, that's how. But here's the deal. Unless you personally are intimately acquainted with Jesus, his name will not work for you. His name will not work for you. Now let's go back and look at Matthew chapter 10. Let's go back and look at this. 
He said, and when he called on to him his disciples, his apprentices, he gave them power against or power over or authority over or dominion over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. What was the power? What was the power? Come on, what was the power? His name. His name. His name was the power. Did he, did he give him, did he give him, <laughs> think about this. Did he give him a piece of paper? Nope. Did he give him a piece of paper? He said, here, when you come up against a demon, just hand the demon a piece of paper and, that, and my, paper, my piece of paper will work for him. No. Did he give him a badge? Did he give him a badge? Like an officer has a badge. Listen, just because an officer has a badge doesn't mean everybody's going to obey it. In fact, if an officer doesn't understand that they have the authority, if an officer doesn't understand that the people that, rep that are represented by that badge has their back, do you think that officer's going to run into a situation? No. What gives an officer the boldness to go into bad situations? The knowledge of the authority that backs him up. That's right. The knowledge of the authority that backs up his badge is what gives him the comfort. Why do, our military doesn't go into some play. Listen, our soldiers, without the name of, the, of our government backing them, our soldiers have no authority and power. They, when they go into an area, they go in knowing that the power of the United States is behind them. The power is what's behind them, what backs them up is the power, you know, and, and here's the deal. I often say this when I'm teaching on the Holy Ghost. Um, the name of Jesus is your authority, and the Holy Ghost is the power that backs it up. So when Jesus said, now this is incredible because I've always asked the Lord, Lord, how were your disciples able to go out away from Jesus and get results? And God said, do you not know I gave them, listen to what he said. He said, do you not know that I gave them authority and power? Well, they're under the Old Testament. She said they wouldn't have the Holy Ghost at this point. How much do you know in the Old Testament, the way they received the Holy Ghost is when they were endued with power from on high. When Jesus said to the twelve, I give you power, guess what? The Holy Ghost rested upon them. Not in them, but upon them. The, same, the same power that was on Jesus, the same authority that was on Jesus, now rested on the disciples because they had an order from Jesus to go. Yep. They had an order to go. It wasn't living inside of them. No. It was on them. It was on them. So here he said, he said, I give you power. Power. I want you to hold your place right here in chapter 10 and go to the last chapter of Matthew. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Why don't you go right here? Verse 18. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. 
and lo, I am with you always. Now at this point, Jesus had been, Jesus had gone to the cross. He had died. He'd been buried. He'd been raised again. He had he had applied his blood to the mercy seat. Now Jesus was able to extend his power to all that followed him. The reason he could only extend it to the 12 is because the 12 were the ones that he had direct contact with at that moment. He was able to lay his hands on them and say, Father, I anoint this one. Give him the Holy Ghost. Father, I give this one my name. This one has my name. This one has my ability to go. See, once you receive the power, once you receive the anointing, once you receive the mandate, then you can go. Now look at what Jesus, how Jesus gives them the mandate, because this is awesome. So we're going back to 10. So let's go back to 10. All right. All right, 10 verse 2. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. Don't you know that after this event, Peter walked on the water? Don't you know after this, after, this, after this event, he not only walked on the water, but then he began to sink? After this, he denied Christ at the cross three times? Don't you know Peter made some mistakes along the way? How much? But does that mean that God can use him any less just because you make some mistakes along the way? No, God can still use you just because you make some mistakes as long as you repent. All right, so Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, wait a minute. Judas Iscariot, who's going to betray, betray Jesus, and yet he was amongst the twelve? And he was used by he Jesus. He was used by Jesus. Jesus laid his hands on, it doesn't say that he did, but we know that that's how the anointing was passed. Jesus laid his hands on Judas Iscariot, and he said, Judas, I'm giving you my authority, my power, my might, my dominion, my name. And, by the way, here's a dose of the Holy Ghost to sit on you. Judas Iscariot knew the power of God firsthand. He knew it firsthand. Let's look at what Jesus tells him to do. All right, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into... Any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of it of heaven is at hand. So he told the twelve, he said, Don't go to the Gentiles, and don't go to the Samaritans. Why not? He, at this point in time, the gospel was not yet... The, the, the kingdom of God had not yet been open to anybody but the Jews. God went to his own people first, trying to get them in right fellowship with him before he went to the others. Now, mind you, he's sending, look at some of these people he sent. He sent um, James, the son of Zebedee, and John. Uh, where is he at? Um, where is he at? Matthew. Which one was the Zealot? Not all of these oh, the were Zealot. Jews. 
Simon. That was it. Simon. Simon uh, was wasn't even part of the Jewish. Uh, he came from a Jewish line, but he wasn't a Jewish student. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jew, but he was a tax collector. How much you know? The Jews didn't like Matthew. They didn't like Matthew, but yet Jesus sent him to him. All right. And then he said this. He said to do what? Of course, he, they didn't like Simon either because no. he was a zealot. Because he you know, was an extremist. He That's was right. a zealot. You know, zealots are, are fanatics. That's right. Uh, they're, people think they're, they're cultists. Or whatever they, right. they're off, they're off their rocker. They've gone t- taken it too far. That's right. That's right. But look at what he says in verse seven. What did he tell his disciples to do? Do what? Go preach. Number one, go. Go. Number two, do what? Preach. Did he tell his disciples to stay in the church? No. No. He said go. Number one, go. And as you go, look what he said. He said, as you go, preach. Disciples, as you go from this house, preach. As you go from this house, preach. The word preach means to proclaim. To proclaim. In other words, everywhere you go, your life should proclaim Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean stand on the street corner and yell at the top of your lungs and tell your horse, condemning people, telling them they're going to hell. It means to proclaim. He said, preach, saying, he even told them what to preach. He, does it say preach that, Jesus, that the kingdom of heaven is coming? Does it say that hellfire is coming? Does it say you're, does it say preach and proclaim you're going to hell if you don't meet Jesus? No. No. What's he said? He said preach the kingdom of heaven is when? At hand. It's right now. now. Right now. Yep. Heaven is right now. Heaven is available right now. You can put your hands on heaven right now. You can live uh, you can live in 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 the supernatural health right now. You can live in prosperity right now. You can be uh, you can be emotionally stable right now. You can have all your needs met right now. Now, how much you know? Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and repent. In other words, change your thinking. Change your thinking. So everywhere we go, we need to proclaim, I'm walking in heaven. I have, because what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is that, that heaven be on the earth. On earth. On earth. God wants his heavenly existence to impact this earthly place. Why? Because God created the earth to be an extension of heaven. When they were in the garden, it was an extension of heaven. Everything was perfect. All provision was provided. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no divorce. There was nothing evil in any way, shape, or form. And God said, if you'll get with Jesus, you can have all of that here on here and now. Here and now. So he told his disciples, he said, number one, preach proclaim. 
He said, go. He said, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, do you think that Jesus only meant for his 12 to do it? No. Because later we find out that he sent out the 70. And then later he sent out 120. And then later he sent out every disciple through his power in the Holy Ghost in in the book of Acts. But we're only looking at the 10 right now. 12. Or the 12. He said, go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8. Heal the sick. Does that sound like heaven? Oh, yeah, because there's no sickness in heaven. What did he do? He told them to preach, and then he told them to demonstrate heaven. Do you hear me? He said, preach, and then demonstrate heaven. How much of you got a sick person in front of you? And, and, and all of a sudden, you can speak to them in the name of Jesus, and you command health and healing into their body and miraculously healed. How much, you know, you just demonstrated heaven to that person. You demonstrated heaven to that family. He said, preach, then demonstrate. Heal the sick. Do what with the lepers? Cleanse them. Cleanse them. That's, now, that's, that's different than healing the sick. See, the le- leprosy was a, was a sickness, and yes, that some of the lepers got healed, but, but in the Bible it tells us the account of where, where uh, what was there, three lepers that got healed? Is that right? Three? No, there's several different well, accounts. Well, but, but where, he, he healed the lepers, and most of them left. Ten. Ten, okay, ten. But one, ten but one, one turned back. around and came back and thanked him. Praised and him. praised him and worshipped him, and then God and then Jesus said, "Not only are you healed, but but, but now you're made whole. You're cleansed." Right. Which means all signs of leprosy, even the scars, were gone. And see, leprosy leprosy caused your body parts to rot off. Yeah. So when when you're cleansed, when you're made whole, body parts grow back. Yes. 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 When you're cleansed from the rot, all rot leaves and body parts come back. So be cleansed. So in other words, he said, heal them, make them whole. Uh, then what did he sell, tell them to do? Huh, this is a good one. Raise the dead. Raise the dead. Uh, how much you know, right about now the disciples are scratching their head? Now, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. Uh, you're the Messiah. You're the one doing all the preaching and teaching. And we've heard some good sermons. But now you want us to go out and give the same sermons? Yeah, I do. And do the same signs. And, and you want us to heal people. Well, that's cool. I mean, I'd like to see some people healed. That's good. But now you want me to cleanse them and make them whole and see body parts grow back? Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, okay, Jesus. I, I mean, you're stretching my faith, but okay. And then Jesus said, raise the dead. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm quite sure. You're funny, Jesus. I'm Had quite they... sure he got that reaction. <laughs> had they had they had they seen him raise the dead? Remember our study, Jairus's daughter. Remember, Jairus came and said, "My daughter is dead." And then another testimony said that she was at the point of death. And then, uh, uh, and then one of the servants of the house came back and said, "No, she's dead." Remember that. And then Jesus, and then they went into the house, and they're all wailing and crying and all having a fit, going, "Oh my God, she's dead! She's dead!" And Jesus looked at him and said. She's not dead. She sleepeth. Which what he said is she's not dead. 
because it was the daughter, so she hadn't reached the point of accountability. He said, she's not dead. Her body, her physical body simply sleeps. In other words, there's no life in her physical body, but she's still alive and well, and she's in heaven. So what did he do? He said, daughter, get up and rise. And he took her by the hand, and she got up. What happened? When he said, daughter, get up, her spirit immediately said, uh, Father God, I got to go. Jesus is calling. And shoosh. Right back into her body she went, and then she went walking and praising. They saw him raise the dead. See, you've got to know, before you're going to be able to raise the dead, you've got to have a full understanding of what uh, life and death truly is. You've got to have a full understanding that this physical body is nothing more than a house. And this spirit is what makes this physical body come to life. So you've got to understand before you can raise it. Now, I'm telling you, this is hot off the wire. I ain't ever taught this. I ain't ever thought about this. Didn't know this. Jesus is telling me how we have to raise the dead. We have to have a full understanding that when the physical body is laying there dead, it's doing nothing more than sleeping. It's waiting for a tenant to move back in. It's waiting for the owner who's apparently on vacation in heaven to come back from heaven and get back in the house. That's what it's waiting for. How much do you know when you go on vacation and you turn off the lights and you lock the doors, how much do you know your house is sleeping until you come back home? And you unlock the door and you get back in and you start turning on lights and turning on water and doing this and doing that, and all of a sudden the house is alive again. It's the same thing with your spirit. Your spirit said, um, I'm going to leave earth for now, and I'm going to go on to heaven. Think about Smith Wigglesworth. Now, Smith Wigglesworth raised some people from the dead in some very unique ways. In some very unique ways. Remember, he went, remember he went to, the one, um, to the one funeral? Was it the funeral that he did it? Anyways, he was at one. Well, I think he did this. Was it two different funerals he did this in? I think it was. Remember, he went to one place, and the man was dead, and he picked him up, and he, he grabbed that body, and he slammed that body against the wall, and he said, get up, walk. And that body slid down that wall, and nothing happened. And Smith Wigglesworth said, oh, no, we ain't putting up with that. He got back over there. He grabbed that body. He slammed that body up. I mean, slammed that body up against the wall again and said, I said, get up in the name of Jesus. And that body slid down that wall. I thought, now, I'd probably leave embarrassed. But Smith Wigglesworth, he had that spirit of faith on him. And he got over there and he grabbed that dead house. And he grabbed that dead house by its clothes, and he grabbed it up, and he threw it up against that, by, that wall one more time, and he said, I said, get up and in the name of Jesus. And that body got up, and that man got up and testified and walked out of the building. People were passing out everywhere. People were passing out everywhere. But the one that really stood out to me was Brother Butterfield. Is it Brother Butterfield? I think his name was Brother Butterfield. Might have been Butterworth, but I think it was Butterfield. Uh, but, but Brother Butterfield was a deacon in the church, and he had died. And they were having his funeral in the church. 
And in that day, they used to have the deacons sit up on the platform, so they all had their assigned seats in the platform. They had the straight wing-back chairs up on the platform. Those chairs were kind of sturdy back in that day. And uh, they were in the funeral, and they were doing Brother Butterworth's funeral. And it was a packed house. And, because, uh, you know, it's Brother Butterworth. And uh, Smith, in the middle of the service, got up, walked up to the casket, pulled Brother Butterworth out of his casket. Now, women were already shouting and falling over. Oh, my God, oh, oh, this is awful, this is awful. Brother Butterworth, uh, Brother uh, Smith Wigglesworth wasn't phased in the slightest. He didn't turn around and look at the women or anything. He just stayed focused on God. And he grabbed Brother Butterworth out of the casket. And now, this been, he'd been dead a few days now. So Brother Butterworth, rigor mortis had already set in. Now, if you don't understand anything about uh, rigor mortis, when rigor mortis sets in, that's when the, the muscles become stiff and unmovable. He becomes very rigid. Uh, Brother Butterfield was stiff and straight as a board. I mean, he was straight. He was stiff. And so when he pulled him out of that casket, it was like he pulled a board out of that casket. And he hauled Brother Butterfield up the platform in his dead, wooden state. And he took him to his chair, and as he was taking him to his chair, he said, Brother Butterworth has a testimony for us. Brother Butterworth has something he needs to say. And he took Brother Butterworth and he pushed him into his chair. And he grabbed his leg straight as a board and began to pull his leg up and and forced his leg into position. Then he forced his other leg into position. Then he forced his hips into position. And the testimony is this, that the whole time he was getting Brother Butterworth into position, because he positioned his arms and everything. The whole time he was getting him into position, his body was popping and cracking and making all kinds of racket like he was breaking his body. But he was forcing him into position. Can you see this? Can you see this? Can you see this? Years ago, years ago, we had, we did a Christmas service many years ago, and we made the youth mecha- uh, uh, mannequins. And we told the youth, you have to be you have to be stiff like a board, but when the uh, when, but when, uh, when 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 the people that are positioning the mannequins begin to move, when they bend your arm, bend with them and and kind of stiff and rigid, you know. And uh, what we did is they pretended like they were setting up a. Uh, department store window and so they were putting all the youth into position and even that looked painful and the youth were cooperating but so Smith Wigglesworth was popping and and just moving them and he just kept saying Brother Butterfield has a testimony and once he got him seated in the seat and got his arms all bent and he's sitting in the seat and he's looking like he's supposed to look even though he's dead and he's been cracking and popping and women are Men and women are passing out everywhere. He looked at Brother Butterfield and he said, Brother Butterfield, prophesy, testify. Guess what? 
Brother Butterfield just sat there. Just sat there. And he said, I said, in the name of Jesus, Brother Butterfield has a testimony and a prophecy. Brother Butterfield, testify and prophesy. Nothing happened. So he stood there for a minute. And he said, I said, got real strong, real bold. I said, Brother Butterfield has a testimony and a prophecy. Brother Butterfield, testify and prophesy. And when he said it the third time, Butter, Butter, Brother Butterfield's spirit, bam, into his body. And that man got up full of life and testified of heaven in that service. Yeah. Smith Wigglesworth is credited with raising 14 people now, from know, the dead. I know some of y'all are thinking, well, I can't do this. You'll yeah. never Smith, do it Smith, with that mindset. Smith, Smith Wigglesworth was one of the great fathers of, of the faith, right? Well, did you know that he started out as an a immigrant worker? He was unschooled and illiterate yes, as sir. a child. He worked in the fields pulling turnips with his mother. Yep. Then, then he got saved. He later became a plumber and then and got became, saved. And became a plumber, and, and the, and the uh, preachers were teaching him how to read. And his wife taught him how to read. And... and so he started out knowing nothing, but God, God, God called him and God equipped him for the doing of His work. That's right. And he became quite accomplished at it. That's right. But he didn't ask. He didn't ask. He didn't ask. You know, he didn't say, "God, I can't do it." He just said, "God, you called me. You're going to make me able to do he, it." He didn't say, and "What if I have it wrong?" He didn't question whether God. Whether God called him or not, he just did what he was, what God told him to do. Listen, I'll tell you what, he he couldn't have raised not a one of those people from the dead if God hadn't told him, if the Holy Spirit hadn't told him, go raise that person That's from right. the dead. That's if right. he hadn't have been, if if he'd have just wanted that person to raise from the dead, it wouldn't have done no good. No, gotta have it the was anointing. Only because because the Holy Spirit told him to go do it. Every person that I've ever healed, every every person, any person I've ever laid hands on for healing. Um, and, they, and 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 got results. The anointing was present. Every person. I've ra listen. Well, have you ever raised anybody from the dead? Well, no, I've never gone to a, a to a sleeping body. But I have gone to people that the doctor said they'll be dead within a week or less. We went to one man's house, and I mean, I'm telling you, Mom will testify. I thought he died about three times while we were preaching to him. I'm telling you, I really did. I, I kind of pause and look at her like, is he dead? I did. And she's like, just keep preaching. Okay, I'll just keep preaching. Just keep preaching, prayed, left, said, as far as I know, he'll be dead tonight. But guess what? He heard every word. He received it. He had some unforgiveness issues. He, got, he, he, he stepped over, forgave some people that needed to be forgiven. Uh, and then he went to his church. Listen to me. He went to his Baptist church. Come on. Baptist people have faith when you give them the word. He went to the Baptist church, showed him the same scriptures I showed him or that I told him about. Number one, if you forgive. Number two, if you'll go to your church, ask the elders to anoint you with oil and pray. He, As I understand it, I believe he actually walked in the door with the oil in his hand, as I understand it. Uh, he went in and showed him the scripture said, I can call for the elders of the church, have you anoint me with this here oil, and if you all pray for me, I'll be healed. 
He said, the Bible says, if I'll forgive, the Father will forgive me. I had unforgiveness. I've forgiven him. So I need you to pray so I can be healed. They prayed. He was healed. He's still walking around today as far as I know. Glory to God. So, yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had some situations like Jairus, his daughter, right there at the point of death and had him healed. But you do have to have that anointing present. And part of what brings the anointing is the preaching and the teaching of the word. But above all, you've got to know, you've got to be intimately acquainted with Jesus. And that's the point about these 12 disciples is they were intimately acquainted with Jesus. They had no doubt that Jesus had the power, the authority, and the ability to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, and to raise the dead. And therefore, Jesus said, I'm commissioning you to go. Well, Jesus said, I could do it, therefore I can do it. you got to know it, that you know it, that you know it. Well, how did Smith Wigglesworth get used to raise 14 people from the dead? Because he was intimately acquainted with Jesus. He prayed all the time. He, when he was, when it, it, there's testimonies of him riding on the train going from place to place where he would sit and have conversations with the Father. And people were like, wait, what are you talking about? He said, he, there was one thing. He, he, was sitting on the, he was sitting on the train muttering to himself. What is that? Meditating. He was muttering to himself over and over again. And all of a sudden, he said, that's it. That's it. That's the circle of life. God reaches his hand down. You reach your hand up. You reach your hand up. God reaches his hand down. You reach your hand out. And the power of God flows to that person. And then that person receives God, and they reach their hand up to God. That's the circle of life. Well, he's riding on the train. What was he doing? He was fellowshipping with the Father. He was meditating. He was meditating. There's another time. I love this story. He was sitting at the bus stop. And he's minding his own business, talking to the Lord, talking to the Lord, just, just minding his own business. And here comes this little woman, this woman walking to the bus stop. And all the time she's walking, here's her little chihuahua behind her. Now y'all know why I love this story. Here's her little chihuahua behind her. And the whole time she's going... Come on, sweet baby, you got to go home. No, sweet baby, you can't get on the bus with mama. Mama's got to go to town, baby. You can't come with me. Baby, go home. Baby, go home. She'd be all sweet and kind and just sweet talking that little chihuahua, and that little chihuahua's just following right behind her, and she gets close to the bus stop, and the bus is coming, and all of a sudden that woman turned around real strong tone, stomped her foot, stomped her foot real strong, clapped her hands real loud, and said, Get! Get home! And all of a sudden Smith said, That's it! That's how you deal with the devil! He said, most people are dealing with the devil like she was coming to the bus stop. Now, go on, devil. Go on, devil. Now, devil, just leave me alone. Well, now, devil, you just can't come on. But then when she got serious and told that dog to get, that dog tucked its tail and ran home, yapping the whole way, he said. And he said, that's how you got to deal with the devil. You got to be strong about it. See, that was the thing about Smith Wigglesworth is his mind was always on the things of God. He'd sit down to a meal, even in somebody else's home. Listen, you go to somebody else's home, you don't tell them how to run their household. But he was so connected to God, they'd fix him a meal. And before they'd sit down, before anybody got to take the first bite, he'd say, well, come on, let's pray. He didn't give him an option to not pray. He'd say, come on, let's pray. You ever go to, you ever go to a meal with a sinner and think, well, I'll just pray to myself? 
You ever go to other go to a meal with other Christians and go, well, I'll wait for them to pray. He didn't wait. He said, come on, we're going to fix and eat. Let's pray. And he'd pray or he'd have them pray. They'd eat the meal. And then before anybody could get before anybody had a chance to get up from the table, he'd pull out his New Testament and say, well, we fed our he said, well, we fed our flesh. Now it's time to feed our spirit. And he'd sit down and do a Bible study with them. Why? So it's because of this lifestyle, it's because of being disacquainted with God that he was able to do this. These disciples walked and traveled with Jesus. They were well acquainted. And because they were well acquainted, he said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. And? <laughs> and then he said, he said, and not only that, cast out devils. Mm -hmm. Cast out the devils. How you're going to take authority over the devil is to be well acquainted with Jesus. He said, freely you have received, freely give. If you've received the freedom of Christ, you have an obligation to see that others get the same opportunity that you did. Amen. Let's keep going. All right. Verse 9. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. He said, don't take anything with you. He said, don't take any money with you. Now listen, he told them, don't take your gold and silver. Now why would he tell them to take gold and silver if they were poor? Or not to. That's what I'm saying. Why would he tell them not to take gold and silver if they were poor? You don't have to tell a poor man not to take money with them. You have to tell a wealthy man, don't take your money. Now, why did Jesus not want them to take the money? Because Jesus needed them to learn and see that God would provide for them. He needed them to see this. He said, don't take any, don't take any money with you. He said, no gold, no silver, no brass. Don't take any script. For your journey, that's another form of finances. Don't take anything with you. Neither two coats. It was customary when they traveled that they traveled with two coats. He said, don't take the coats. He said, don't take any shoes. How much you know? They're traveling. They're going to wear their shoes out. He said, don't take any staves. Those are, um, th that's a weapon to protect yourself with because they're traveling on the road. He said, don't take any weapons to protect yourself with. And then he said, here's the deal. He said, for the workman is worthy of his meat. He said, listen, he said, what you're going to do, you're worthy to be taken care of. Go do what I've called you to do, and you will be taken care of. If you will do what God has called you to do, you will have your needs met. Pastor Mike and I have proved this out in our life. There have been plenty of times that the Lord has told us to go and do. And we have gone and done, not knowing how we were going to pay the bill, not knowing how we were going to eat, not knowing how we were going to get some things taken care of. And we went. And we, many times we'd go out to eat by faith, you know, go out going, man, I don't know. And somebody pay our bill for us. Money come in supernaturally, take care of the hotel bill for us. See, you know, we've got the, we, now, now listen to me, you've got to use wisdom. It'd be, a bad, it'd be a bad witness, listen, it'd be a bad witness 
for you to go to a minister's meeting at a hotel and everybody knows you're there for that. You got, you got the room discount and everything and then you went with no ability to pay. Now, if God tells you, now if you say, God, I had no ability to pay and God says, you go and I'll take care of the bill, you actually heard from heaven. You didn't just have a wishing thought, but you actually heard from heaven, then God will pay your bill. But you don't go just without that hearing from heaven because then that's a bad witness. But in this day, in this hour, a lot of times Christians, because of the ability of credit cards, don't put their faith out on God for God to meet the need. They say, well, i got a credit card. It'll be fine. And they never use their faith. But in this day, credit cards wasn't something available to them. Nope. He said, he said you go out and you do my work. I'll take care of you. So let's keep going. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Listen, the Lord's going to send you to people disciples the lord's going to send you to people that that need to hear the message and some of them will receive you and some of them will not when they refuse to receive you you can't take it personally nope because it's not you that they're rejecting it's the lord jesus that they're rejecting it's the father god that's rejecting that they're rejecting and jesus said when that happens just knock the dust off your feet just knock it off. In other words, take your foot and hit it up against something and let the dust that's on your feet fall. And what that will do is that will mark them in the spirit. Now, if you understand what that marking them in the spirit means, you'll have a hard time doing it. Because marking somebody in the spirit means that, that uh, when they stand before the Lord and they'll say, well, Lord, I didn't know. The Lord will say, no, wait a minute. You've been marked. That means that I sent my disciple to you and you rejected them. See, they're accountable. They're accountable. This is why you don't preach to just anybody. Don't preach to just anybody. Because if you preach to them and they don't receive you, then, you're then you are accountable for marking them. And then they're accountable for what you preach to them. So this is why you go where the Lord leads you to go. And you speak to those that the Lord tells you to speak to. Let's keep reading. All right. Verse 15. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Meaning the city that they had to the shake city their city that, that they had to mark. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents. And harmless as doves but beware of men for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues come on and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake for my for a testimony against them and the Gentiles but when they deliver you up take no thought how or what ye shall speak for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak for it is not ye that speak but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you 
So how, so right here, he said, listen, when you go up before, when you get taken before people that are judging you, he said, don't worry about it. Don't try to figure it out in your own mind and power. Just speak by the, speak by the Spirit. So this is how we know that when Jesus commissioned them to go, they went with the Holy Ghost. Because right here, Jesus said, when you go before them, when you get taken before these councils, when you get taken before these governors, when you get taken before these judges, he said, it's not you that speak, but the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, of your Father, which speaketh in you. So there was a special anointing, and the Holy Spirit was flowing through them and speaking out of them. See, when you go as a disciple of Christ, it's not you it's not you, your spirit, going. It's you, your spirit, going with the Holy Spirit by your side, with the Lord Jesus, with the power and authority of the Lord Jesus with you to go, to go. Yeah, it's your physical house, but from the Spirit, if you could see in the Spirit, there's you, there's the Holy Ghost, there's the Lord Jesus going with you. And you're just listening in the spirit, and you're saying and doing what they're telling you to do. So it's them doing the work through you. It's not you doing the work. And when you begin to understand that it's them doing the work through you, then it'll be easier for you to preach. It'll be easier for to, which means to proclaim. It'll be easier for you to speak that boldness, because it's not you being bold, but it's the Holy Spirit being bold through you. Now, sometimes, listen, we got to be careful to hear the Spirit, because sometimes we'll talk out of our own might and power. So we got to be careful to hear the Spirit. Because notice prior to that, he said, be as subtle as a serpent. How much do you know you don't see a snake coming on the scene until the snake's on the scene? See, serpents come in slow and easy. They don't make a sound. They're watching the environment. They're paying attention to the environment. They're seeing. Their little tongues are going. And what are they doing? They're taking the temperature of the environment. They're paying attention to the environment. And they're going, and, and, and they're going can, I, can I make a move? Can I make a move? A, a snake rarely, if ever, goes right into the area and makes, it, and, and makes an attack. Most of the time, they go into an area real calm and real still, and they'll even They'll sit perfectly still, watching and observing the area, waiting. So he said, be, he said, be slow and steady like a serpent, but then be gentle like a dove. How much you know doves are, are gentle? They're just gentle creatures. All right, let's read just a little bit more. All right. Verse 21. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And he said, listen, he said, listen, there's going to be people that are going to hate you all the way to the end. This is, the, this, is the, this is Jesus sending out his disciples and he's giving them this wonderful news. Right. This is Jesus sending out the disciples to go heal, to go bring healing. And he's going, I'm sending out you, I'm sending you out to heal, and I'm sending you out to preach. And oh, by the way, you're going to be taken before the judges. Oh, by the way, you're going to be scored. That means beaten by the soldiers. Oh, by the way, you're going to be hated. 
Oh, by the way, you're going to turn parents and children against one another because one's going to receive you and the other one's going to reject you. Oh, by the way, you're going to be hated by all kinds of people. Well, Jesus, I don't think I want this assignment. But they were intimately acquainted with Jesus before they took the assignment. So we as disciples have the same assignment, but before we go, we've got to be intimately acquainted with Jesus. We've got to know that we know that we know that we have authority. I got news for you. I know we're out of time. So I'm going to ask this question. How many churches did you go to to get set free before you found the church that was able to help you get set free? Fourteen. He went to fourteen different churches. God was dealing with him and showing him that his answer was supposed to be found in the church. And he went to 14 different churches before he found somebody in a church that was acquainted with Jesus enough to cast those demons out of him. It should not be so. It should not be so. The other person that I dealt with, a year later, the Lord drove him, the Lord I shouldn't say drove, but the Lord led them, listen to me, from Miami, Florida. It means they had to go through the entire state of Florida, through the entire state of Georgia, past South Carolina, past Alabama, and into, no, didn't go into Tennessee, but came into North Carolina to find a church that had a pastor that had the intimate acquaintance with Jesus enough to be able to get him set free. And I even asked the Lord. I said, Lord, you mean to tell me? I mean, I know of some good pastors in Florida. I know of good pastors in Georgia. You mean to tell me there's not a church between the southern tip of Florida and the state of North Carolina that, has, that is so intimately knows you that this person could get set free? I'll let you answer that for yourself. He went to 14. And I'm not degrading churches and I'm not degrading pastors. But see, in order to do what they did here, you've got to understand you've got to be intimately acquainted with Jesus. Intimately acquainted. Well, we didn't even get to Mark 6, but let's look at it just real quick. We got a few minutes. I can't, I can't let it go. I said, we, we said tonight, you know, we said Sundays run an hour to an hour and a half. We're going to be obedient to the Spirit. Go to Mark chapter 6. Glory to God. That's a short segment here. Uh, let's look at chapter, uh, verse... verse. Um, Let's pick up in verse 7. All right. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, 
and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Keep going down to here. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Look at that. Look at that. Here we see that they took the charge and they preached that men should repent. What did Jesus? Jesus went about preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then and we saw in Matthew, he told them, go preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here they went preaching, repent. So they preached what Jesus preached. They did what Jesus told them to do. They went out two by two. When the Lord first dealt with me, he told me to go. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll go. And then I told Michael was on fires. He couldn't go. I told Mom, I said, I'm supposed to go. She said, I'm supposed to go with you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I said, I said well, the scriptures do say two by two. So we called Michael. He said, yeah, go, but make sure you go with somebody. Go two by two. You know, the Lord will give you somebody to go with. The Lord will give you a partner to go with. Be sensitive to the Spirit. He said, and they went out and preached that men should repent. So they were preaching the kingdom as a hand, repent. And they did what? They cast out many devils, which means they were intimately acquainted and knew that they had the authority and the power. They anointed uh, with oil many that were sick. Now, we never saw Jesus anoint anybody with oil, but they did it. And where did they learn it? They had to learn it from Jesus. They obviously saw Jesus anointing people with oil. So they did it because the oil represents the anointing. It says, uh, with oil, many that were sick and healed and healed. That word then is italicized. So they went out. Did, were they able to do exactly what Jesus told them to do? Yep. Yeah, and so were we. Go to Luke. Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Let's just look at these real quick. In verse 1, Luke 9, 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, nor, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And, whoever, and whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Look at that. <laughs> they, they, they went out two by two, preaching and healing some. Healing a few? No. Healing everywhere. Everywhere they went, they were healing. 
They were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Go to Luke chapter 10. He gives us some more stuff that happens here. So a little bit of time goes by. There's some things going on. But look at Luke chapter 10. So the 12 12 went out. They're having great success. And let's look at chapter 10. Where at? Verse 1. Okay. (laughs) After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. And sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Remember in Matthew chapter 9, right at the end, remember Jesus told them to pray? For laborers? Yep. And now Jesus said, listen, he's telling the disciples, he said, yeah, I told you to pray for laborers. What you didn't understand is I was telling you to pray that the Father would send you out. See, when you pray, Father, send laborers, you're giving God access to send you out. Now, don't stop praying for laborers. Don't go, oh, is that what I'm doing? Okay, Lord, I'm not praying for laborers anymore. No, pray that the Lord would send you out. Pray that the Lord would send others out. Pray for laborers, and if God sends you, he sends you. Let's keep going. Carry neither purse, nor script, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And unto whatever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. I forgot. Notice in verse 1, it said the Lord appointed other, how many? Seventy. Seventy. So now he's got 82 disciples going out. 82. How many pairs? 41. 41 pairs of, of disciples going out. How much do you know? 41 pairs of people plus Jesus can get a lot more accomplished. Come on. Well, healing was done away with the disciples. Where's that scripture? If he sent out the disciples, if he sent out the 12 and he sent out the 70, later he sends out, he sends out the 120 out of the book of Acts, and then 3,000 were added to the church, and he sent people out from amongst them. At what point does the scripture say that healing was done away with? No, he was starting the healing ministry, and the healing ministry will continue until the day of Jesus' return. It won't come after because when Jesus returns, all death will be done away with. Glorified bodies. It says in um, Corinthians chapter 15 that in the twinkling of the eye, all will be done and death will be put away. Let's keep reading. All right. Because we got to see something clear. And into whatsoever house ye enter first, say, or into whatsoever house ye enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from this from house to house. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets in the same, and say, Even the very dust of 
of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, uh, Chlorazin? Chorazin. Chorazin, okay. Woe unto thee, Bethesda, Bethesda, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Jesus went into these towns. Jesus went into these towns and did a lot of mighty works. Did a lot of mighty works, and yet the people refused to repent. How much you know that happens today? Jesus does big works, and they go, oh, thank you, Jesus, and the people go right back to sinning. Happens today. It's not going to be good for you. Come on. All right. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despises me, you despises me. And he that despises me despises him that sent me. Listen, disciples, we've got to get it in our head. When people reject us, when people reject the words that we're saying when we're preaching for Christ, and they reject you and they smart off to you and they, and they say all manner of evil, it's not you that they have a problem with. This is why you've got to be, this is why you've got to get to a place where you've got a good self-image. Because if you don't have a good self-image, when they come against you, you're going to take it personally. Ask me how I know. Because when I started with God, my self-image was, was in a rough place. And when I would say things by the Spirit and people would come against me, I took it personally. But, then, but the Lord just kept bringing these scriptures to me. When, when you get rejected, it's not you being rejected. When you get despised, it's not you being despised. When, when people turn against you, just rejoice, for they returned against me first. These scriptures just kept coming to me. And I finally one day just had to say, well, God, it's not me, it's you. In which case, then my heart broke for the Father because he's feeling all the rejection I'm feeling. So, oh, God, I feel bad for you. Man. No, no, no. We've got to understand that when people reject our Jesus, it's not about us. It's about him. And that's something to be grievous over, not for our sakes, but because if they don't turn and change their mind, they're going to be separated from him for all of eternity. It's not going to be good for them in the day of judgment because they're going to go before the Father and they're going to say, well, I didn't know. And he's going to say, did I not send my disciple to you? And they're going to go, well, but I thought that was the part. Did I not tell, did they not preach my word to you? Well, but that was just, a, no, that was my servant and you rejected him. So therefore you rejected me. Let's just finish this little bit up right here. All right. And the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. They came back saying they were happy. They were happy because they were seeing the sick healed, the leopards cleansed, the dead raised. They were happy because even the demons 
were subject to them. These were people who were once in bondage to various things in their life, and they said, man, we've got such freedom and such authority that even the demons listen to us. In, in the name of Jesus. In, in your name. Which, which proves that he sent them out with his authority and his name. Yeah, because he said even the demons, uh, he said even the devils are subject to us through thy name. They were like, basically they were full of joy because of the power and authority and the freedom that they had in Christ. Now this next little bit is very powerful. Very powerful because Jesus said, now watch it, be careful, be careful. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That serpents and scorpions are types and shadows of devils and demons. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather because your names are written in heaven. He said, yeah, he said, yeah, yeah, you're right. He said that the, 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 the demons are subject to you, and, and, you know, that's a good thing. He said, but don't get excited about that. He said, get excited that your name is written in my book. Get excited that your name has not been blotted out. See, if you get over into excitement and joy about the authority of Christ, that is in you, you can get built up and into pride, and that can open the door for you to fall. So he said, keep your thinking right. It's not about the authority and the power. It's about the fact that your name is written in my book, and you'll spend all of eternity with me. So it was there anybody, they, they, they went about healing. The 12 went about healing. The 70 went about healing. They went out about casting out devils, which means that people were being healed that were, had sicknesses of infirmity because of demons. Was there anybody that we saw that the disciples couldn't get healed in no. this account? No. No. It said that they healed everywhere they went. So just like in Jesus' day, we as disciples can go out, we can preach and proclaim, and then we can lay hands and people will be healed. And we can expect them to be healed. We can expect them to be healed. Glory to God. Father, we give you all the glory and honor and praise that, Father, even if we can't come in direct contact with Jesus, we can get us a disciple. Find us a disciple that's intimately acquainted with Jesus and have them sit down with us and teach us some things and talk to us as they talk to the Father God and help us get some things out of our life. And then they can lay hands on us and we can get healed. They can pray for us and we can get healed. So one way that you can obtain healing is by getting in, getting in fellowship or getting to know a true disciple of Jesus. Get a hold of somebody that's intimately acquainted with Jesus. Um, we are building a reputation of being a church that's intimately acquainted with Jesus because we have quite a few people that say, when they have a need, they say, oh, contact Disciples House, they know how to get answers. Contact Disciples House, they know how to get results. Let me get a hold of so-and-so because they go to that church and they get results. The reason we get results is because we're intimately acquainted with Jesus. And you can, you individually can get the same results if you'll take the time to get intimately acquainted with Jesus. 
spending time in the Word, spending time meditating, spending time hearing from heaven, you can get intimately acquainted. Will you hand me an envelope, please? We'll do our tithes and our offerings. Thank you, Jesus. We always like to give the opportunity to sow a seed in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we do thank you for that opportunity. You want to pray? Sure. Lord, we thank you for this word that we've received. We thank you for teaching us of, of, of you and of, of your disciples and how how they were sent out and how they, they should act, were told to act, and how they, they responded with faith and were able to do the things that you had called them to do. Lord, we thank you that we can do the same. And we thank you that, that you will lead us and guide us and that you will give us the words that need to be spoken and you will show us the places that we need to be and that we will be there and we will be able to do the things that you have called us to do because you make us well able. You equip us for the doing of your work. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Now, thank Lord, you, Father. We, we're given unto your kingdom again because you gave unto us first. And, and Lord, we, just, we give with a joyful heart because you said that, that we should do that. And that that uh, well, and because we're we're so we're so thankful for all you've done for us when we weren't a, when we weren't worthy. But Lord, we just we just ask that you bless this offering, that you make it go further than we could ever ask, hope, or think towards the furthering of your work in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you.